hits an all-time high. Roger Moore is Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 in Octopussy. of the James Bond adventures, filling the screen with excitement. In the tradition of the great James Bond films, Octopussy has everything. Elegant palaces and beautiful women. Good morning. Good morning, sir. James Bond, I believe you have a reservation for me. We've been expecting you, sir. I'm Octopussy. And you are James Bond. 007 license to kill. Am I to be your target for tonight? his best, hitting an all-time high in Octopussy. Step on it! The bond that tops them all. across the screen with thrills and excitement. Roger Moore in his newest James Bond adventure, hitting an all-time high in Octopussy. Octopussy. Don't cancel me. <laughs> Octopussy. James Bond. And Octopussy. What a title. What a title. Indeed. What a movie. Um, it's been a little while. I know I say that a lot, but it has. Getting back on track with the Bond Marathon. I know you've all been eagerly waiting. You're like, when is Hambo going to do the next Bond movie review? And this is it. Uh, finally got some time in the schedule to do it. 
So here it is. So I'll give you the storyline. Uh, James Bond. James Bond's next mis mission sends him to the circus. A British agent, agent was murdered and found holding onto a f priceless Faberge egg. Kamal Khan buys the egg at an auction, but Bond becomes suspicious when Khan meets up with Russian General Orlov. Bond soon finds out that Khan's and Orlov's plan is to blow up a nuclear device on a U.S. Air Force base. Bond teams up with the circus group, which are headed by the beautiful octopusy, who is also close friend, a close friend of Khan. So yeah, uh, taglines here. I'm on the IMDb. It says nobody does it better. Thirteen times. <laughs> so. Uh, I'll give you a quote here real quick here from the movie. After Bond has escaped Kamal Khan, Mr. Bond is indeed a very rare breed. Soon to be made extinct. And uh, we'll go to trivia. With that, we'll go to trivia, which is the most interesting part of the IMDb. Uh Uh, website for the, a lot of these movies. Oh, first of all, this is the reason why you get them on DVD. It says, according to Sir Roger Moore's commentary in the DVD during the dinner scene, the eyeball in, in the stuffed sheep's head that Louis Jordan, Jordan, or yeah, Jordan, eats is made out of marzipan. I don't even know what marzipan is, so you have to look that up. Uh, maybe uh, since I got the computer open, I'll look it up. Marzipan. Marzipan is one pound. I'm sorry, not one pound. One part. Can't can't uh, read today here. One part ground almonds and two part confectioner's sugar. Almond paste is made from equal parts almond and sugar. So it is less sweet. The two ingredients are not in, in interchangeable in recipes. However, in a pinch, you can turn an almond paste into marzipan, marzipan pan by adding some sugar and egg whites. So there you go. Interesting. And I'm looking at some of the pictures here, and it says uh, one of the pictures is like a sliced white dough, which I could see being used for an eyeball. Um, okay, so there we go. Moving on. Uh, it was not a planned part of the Indian cabbie chase sequence when a cyclist rode between the two battling vehicles, uh, providing providing added suspense. Uh well, that's pretty good. So that wasn't planned. That really happened. The cyclist rode between the two battling vehicles. <laughs> so I'll give you the overall what I thought. Um, Octopus is better than I remember it. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised because when I last watched Octopus, it's been a long time. Uh, 
at least all the way through. I watched it probably when I was a kid, this one. So other than that, it's probably been small parts on TV. And watching it all the way through, uh, I was pretty impressed. Pretty impressed. It's, I think it is superior to uh, Connery's last entry before this. Um, I think it flows better. I think uh, the whole uh, the stunts and everything work uh, work well. Um, there's some silly parts. There, there's a lot of circus stuff in this. Uh, there's a silly scene where Roger Moore is in a bear suit um, <laughs> and trying to hide. And he seems to get out of this bear suit in two seconds and go up a, an escape hatch. And I'm like, that's not very realistic. <laughs> so there, there's there's definitely some silliness. There's some silliness do, during a chase scene that's very much like in Moonraker uh, with some, some kind of weird sound effects cartoony effects which they don't get too out of hand so it doesn't get too annoying but uh it, it you know the movie works the movie works um uh they have the uh the russian villain uh that was same villain uh, that was in rambo 2 and yeah he's got like this bump on his forehead you know that guy and he's good he he's good he's pretty much trying to i don't know kind of like destroy uh i think the u.s or something uh i believe i believe it's the u.s um by having it look like uh everyone's bombing everyone's bombing each other kind of there's that kind of scheme going on i i read it in the beginning um so let's see here. Oh, this is kind of interesting. And this is highlighted. In his book, As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, Carrie Ells, Elwes, I'm not sure if I said that right, states that before he was an actor, he worked on a, as a production assistant on this movie. One of his jobs was to drive Sir Roger Moore to work on the set of the movie. Uh, he further goes on to say that he was a nervous wreck, being constantly afraid of getting in a car accident and accidentally killing Sir Roger Moore. <laughs> so he drove very slowly. <laughs> on one occasion, Mr. Moore calmly looked up from the newspaper he was reading while being driven to work by Els uh, and stated politely, Can you speed up? You can speed up a little if you want to. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't blame him i don't blame him it's like you know there's so much stuff that can happen on the road and uh you know when you when you drive with someone sometimes depending who's in the car you just drive a little bit more conservatively that's all that's all you know this is the unspoken thing uh that people talk about, but uh, yeah, I think that's true. Sometimes you need to know when to take it easy. And uh, um, during filming, Sir Roger Moore was misdiagnosed with heart problems. When he got home, Maud Adams had her boyfriend, who was a doctor, uh, give him a second opinion. 
he pronounced him medically fit. So that's important to get a second opinion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, this is the last Bond movie to reveal the name of the next Bond movie during the end credits. Namely, From A View to a Kill, which later dropped from out of the title. Uh-huh, yep. Looking forward to a view to a kill. Um, okay, here it is. Released the same year, in the same year as Rival, Warner Brothers, James Bond production, Never Say Never Again, uh, in 83, which showcased the return of Sir, Sir Sean Connery to the role. The movie earned $187 million worldwide, Never Say Never Again, earned $160 million. And I will say that Octopus, he has the continuity more intact a little bit more. Uh, has, uh, you know, the original characters, M and all that, they're in there. Um, Money Penny is in this one. It just the continuity um, feels more consistent. Although that, that doesn't really tell you if it's a, the movie's better or not, but it's just that might be part of it, too, on, on a subtle, uh, subliminal level. And they can use the music, Bond music and all that. And the other one didn't, you know. Plus, this one had the official opening uh, with the silhouetted women dancing around, you know, all naked and all that. And the Sean Connery one didn't. It opened up with kind of a never say never again kind of a, you know, I, I don't think it was smart to open the mu the movie with that song because... It, though it's a fine song, it's not a strong song for Bond to start off um, the movie with. It's very kind of an elevator kind of style music. And that's definitely, it. that's the, it kind of reminds me, that was kind of the zeitgeist at the time. Um, a lot of movies had some soft music in them during parts where they probably shouldn't have. Um, that was a strange part in, a, in the 80s culture uh, where they just weren't really thinking about um, maybe some hard trumpet, some good instrumental trumpet music or, or, or something, uh, uh, something that's more adrenaline. But the song itself, it's fine. It's decent. It's a good, it's serviceable um, as a Bond song, but just during the more romantic parts of the movie or, you know, towards the end is fine. Um, again, and, and the music in this one, um, uh, how's it go? Um, Something high. Uh, I'll get to it. Uh, let me see here. I'm drawing a blank right now, of course. Uh, 
all-time high. We're an all-time high. And, uh, you know, the reason I didn't play all-time high on my ukulele is because I can't find the sheet music. <laughs> I like all-time high. Um, it's a good song. And it is it is soft and elevator-like, elevator music-like, similar to Never Say Never Again. But they don't play... After, after the whole... Uh, montage, uh, the intro montage. They don't kind of go into it immediately. It go, it kind of goes into more of a thrilling kind of bondish John Barry uh, kind of uh, instrumental. Um, and I think this was it was cool that they still had John Barry on board here. And this is directed. Here we go. Speaking of the opening sequence. Uh, the quip at the end of the opening sequence, Fill Her Up Please, was initially removed by director John Glenn. <laughs> it was only when he went to his local cinema and caught the trailer, which included the line, and saw how well it fit how, and how well it went down with the audiences, uh, that he reinstated it. That's great. See, listen to the audience. Listen to... What the public, what the fans like. There's a lot of movies where the trailers came out and you go to see the movie and you're like, what happened to that line? I know, was I just, was it in my imagination? Did I not see that line in, in the movie or why is it not in there? Um, it's It's one of those things that bugs the heck out of me. Marked for Death with Steven Seagal. Uh, watching the preview for that, and that—that's one I should—I should do uh, a review of that on here because it's one of my favorite Seagal movies. And there's a there's a part where the guy's interviewing Seagal, and he goes, he's like a gangster or something, and he goes, Are "You some kind of cop?" And, and Seagal goes, "Nah, I'm just a concerned citizen." And that line, that whole interaction, it's not even in the movie. And it's a strong part. And it seems like that would be the line that you'd wait for in the movie. or, And it wasn't even in the movie. I'm so angry. I'm still angry to this day. I feel like that we've been cheated. Like, did I just imagine that line? I, I know I didn't. So, nor was it in, in I mean, as far as I know, I don't have it on DVD. Uh, I should. I should, but, you know, there's a lot of Seagal and Van Damme movies I have on tape still, not ha don't have on, v on DVD, which is kind of annoying, but, and kind of beautiful, too. <laughs> in the train flying car stunt, that's right, in the train flying car stunt, when the car landed, one of the stuntmen dressed as a fisherman only just made it out of the rowboat. And the lake where the car was was landing. This footage can be seen in the finished movie. Movie making's dangerous stuff, kids. Okay, we all this is uh, this is no joke. Movie making is you know when you're doing practical stunts. Heck, even now when you're not really doing that, there's a lot of electrical equipment. Um, there's stuff that people can hurt themselves on, but you just add stunts to it and like. There's a real life factor to it, and that's part of the magic of watching 
older movies because they're not so relying on the CG or special effects. You know, they're relying on stuff really happening and physically happening and that the bodies, actors have to react to. They got to get out of the way. They have to have to rehearse this stuff because these things are taking up physical matter, physical space, and have to be negotiated with, with some skill. And it's always a sight to behold. And that grounds the reality of your movie. Uh, let's see here. Vijay Arm. Armitraj played a snake charmer. I know I butchered that name. In reality, Armitraj is terrified of snakes and is virtually virtually unable to take part in any of the action his character mentions. Uh, this while disposing of a, the cobra in the basket. By telling Bond, this was the wrong cover. I hate snakes. Let's see here. All right, all right. Um, this movie was released four months before Never Say Never Again. This was the second time that two James Bond movies were released in the same year. It previously occurred with Casino Royale, the 67 version, and You Only Live Twice, 1967. That's a great point they made. Uh, let's see here. Permission to shoot in the region of uh, Adipur. Adipur. There's <laughs> no getting around it. It sounds like a diaper. A, di a diaper, yeah, Udiper, had to be sought and granted from the uh, reigning royal Maharana Bhagwat Singh. He would frequently entertain the A-list of, uh, of the crew and the crew at dinners during production, where they would be served specially made rose wine. There's a whole th thing about this movie with this clown. One of the things I remember when I was a kid was watching this was the clown scene. And it's towards the end of the movie. Uh, and it's it's this reoccurring uh, Ronald McDonald kind of figure in it <laughs> that gets killed. But then uh, Roger Moore ends up taking up his... Uh, he ends up taking up his uh, mantle or his, his clown suit, as it were, and big some orange hair and big red suit, and he's diffusing a bomb uh, in this circus, nuclear bomb, and it's, it was just kind of funny. It was so silly, you know. <laughs> it's just a, a silly visual. I'm like, this is zany. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, this is some silly bond right here. Uh, and uh, the Fabergé egg... You know, that was definitely a memorable thing. This the way that the whole design of the this fancy diamond-like egg with the carriage on it, and there's just some things that you remember from movies for some reason. 
And uh, that was just a, a very different kind of thing. And we're going to get to the Fabergé egg. The Fabergé egg, as seen in the movie, was based on the Imperial Coronation egg, designed by Peter Carl Fabergé. Uh, it was made in 1897 to commemorate the 198 no, the 1896 coronation of uh, Tsar Nicholas II. The jeweled egg contains a model of coronation coach. Uh, a, galosh, a galosh field of starbursts with a trans, translucent lime yellow enameling on the exterior surface. Trellised. Greenish gold laurel leave bands. Uh, have mounted at each intersection point an opaque black enameled imperial imperial gold double headed double headed eagle with a rose diamond in their chest. At on the top is a large portrait diamond with a cluster of ten smaller diamonds. And a smaller portrait diamond is set within a cluster of rose diamonds at the reverse end. The actual coronation egg was yellow in color. The egg reappeared in Ocean's 12, 2004. What do you know? Which, which, which was much better than the sequel, Ocean's... No, it wasn't. I think Ocean's 12 was the weaker of the three. Ocean's 13 was, was superior. The first one and, and the third one. Ocean's 12 is just okay, but gets a little out of hand in that one. Uh, Q appears to be an active participant in a mission for the first time, as opposed to being behind the scenes. Yes, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, Q does get a little bit more action in this movie. I think towards the end, with some of the circus, uh, or the octopusy circus women or something, that Bond is helping out, or they're helping him. And uh, he comes in, he swoops in, and he does some, uh, some, I don't know what, I forgot if it was like a punch or something. That I think he sh was shooting at somebody or something like that. I thought that was neat. Uh, let's see here. All right, this is interesting. During casting... James Brolin was almost given the role of James Bond. Uh, when at the last minute Sir Roger Moore agreed to play Bond again, Brolin's screen test can be seen on the DVD. Yeah, I do remember seeing this. Uh, Moore had gone out uh, of contract after Moonraker and had agreed to return to the role uh, one more time for your eyes only. The production went with Moore because this movie would be competing with Never Say Never Again. Starring original and former James Bond star Sir Sean Connery. The, the uncertainty in using an American actor in the role, having to introduce a new actor and going up against Connery, were the reasons. In the meantime, Oliver Tobias, uh, Michael Billington, Timothy Dalton, and Ian Ogilvy had been, also been considered for James Bond. But I believe... Tim Dalton was pretty young then, and uh, I think he was overwhelmed 
uh, I remember he was talking about it, and he, I think he said something like he felt he was too young. He has he hadn't quite aged into the role yet. It's interesting. It's interesting. All these early things. Same with Pierce. Pierce kind of uh, was going to be in the series a lot earlier, but he was. I don't know. Again, he was he was supposed to, but he was doing Remington Steel, and that's why he couldn't be Bond earlier during the uh, Timothy Dalton era. Uh, again, talking about how movies can be dangerous, Christina Wayborn broke several toes in her foot while shooting the attack on the on the Monsoon Palace uh, by Octopussy Circus. A bazooka she has to kick out of a thug's arm, thug's arms, uh, but was supposed to be replaced with a plastic model. Uh, but the stuntman was holding a metal one by accident. Hmm. See, things like that happen. There is a lot of uh, variables, a lot of things going on, a lot of things. There's not a lot of, sometimes there's not a lot of accountability about what should be used on set and what shouldn't be. <clears throat> I won't mention any movies uh, recently that were deadly. Uh, let's see. Again, I'll read that again. A bazooka she was to kick out of a thug's arms was supposed to be replaced with a plastic model. But the stuntman was holding a metal one by accident. So stuff like this happens on movie sets. You have to, everyone's got to check themselves. You know, everyone has to be kind of accountable for themselves because things get missed. Things get missed. And that's one of those things. She broke several toes in her foot. Just something as simple as that can go wrong. You know, so, yeah. Got to be careful with movies. This The short story was published by Playboy magazine. Uh, being serialized two years after Fleming's death, in the March and April 1966 editions, it was also the final James Bond short story written by Ian Fleming. Just sad. Uh, as far as the books, I've only... Uh, I think I... Yeah, I think I read both... Uh, uh, from R Russia with Love and Casino Royale. Uh, the books. So I'm looking forward to read, read some more of them. Or listening to some more. While traveling on a plane, uh, sorry, voice crack. Uh, while traveling on a plane between England and India in August '82, production designer Peter Lamont was on a plane that was hijacked. Woo! That's pretty nuts. The production designer was on a plane that was hijacked. Oh, hold on. With the recasting of M in this movie. It was Sir Roger Moore who recommended Robert Brown for the part. Moore had known Brown since the two worked together on the television series Ivanhoe. So, pardon me, so I guess M wasn't 
in the movie Usyk and was recast in this movie. See, there's a lot of trivia, too much trivia, but I'm trying to look for the juiciest stuff. Uh, I will talk about the opening sequence. There's an opening sequence of the plane, and Bond has to uh, get the this plane through uh, this barn, and the do barn doors are closing, so he's got it just fly really low and go through it and uh, it's well done well done stunt in it there's a little bit more to it but I, I, it's not coming to me right now no I, I didn't really know that octopus's bed was designed in the shape of an octopus by Peter Lamont who was on a plane that got hijacked <laughs> Uh, most of the crew, as well as Sir Roger Moore, had diet problems while shooting in India. Yeah. But, you know, everyone's such a trooper in the movie, you couldn't really tell. Let's see, I'm looking for... Okay, this is interesting. You know, I was telling you about a bomb. There's a nuclear bomb at the end of this movie in the circus tent. And, uh, you know, Bond has to, uh, you know, uh, shut it off, disarm it. Let's see here. Be at least 20 miles away when it goes off, warns the Soviet officer who instructs Gobinda about the atomic bomb. Oh, atomic bomb, sorry. Uh, when, uh, while that is certainly good advice, the surface detonation of a 100 kiloton nuclear weapon could, would easily, would easily, would be easily survivable already at one third of that distance, uh, and even closer if you knew of it in advance, and took minor precautions. Uh, for a weapon that size, the five psi air blast radius where most residential buildings would be, would be blown apart, only goes out at radiance of some 2,400 meters. That's one and a half miles. Uh, the thermal radius, uh, where you'd get third-degree burns, if caught in the open, is about 4,000 meters, two and a half miles. Whew, that's still a good distance, two and a half miles. Think about that. You get... You get uh, Third-degree burns, um, but nothing like 20 miles. On the other hand, you had better stay upwind. Uh, this being a surface burst, you could get severely ir ir uh, ir uh, irradi irradiated, irradiated, sorry, irradiated. I haven't read that word in a long time. Irradiated even around 72 kilometers. That's 45 miles. Huh. And after uh, away after a few hours if caught in the main plume. So, wow, you still got to watch your butt. 
So, yeah. Gotta stay uh, upwind. Let's see, but I think I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. Here he is. I'll go in a little bit to the uh, the pre-title sequence. This pre-title sequence has a scene where Bond flies a nimble home-built uh, BD-5J aircraft through an open hangar. Hollywood stunt pilot and aerial coordinator J.W. Corky Fornoff, who piloted the aircraft at more than 150 miles, 241 kilometers uh, per hour, said, Today, few directors would, considered, would, would consider such a stunt. I'll read that again. Today, few directors would consider such a stunt. They just whip it up in a computer lab. <laughs> Having collapsible, yeah, collapsible wings, the plane was shot was shown hidden in a horse trailer. However, a dummy was used for this shot. Filming inside the hangar was achieved by attaching the aircraft to an old Jaguar with a steel pole driving with the roof removed. The second unit was it was able to add enough obstacles, including people and objects inside the hangar to hide the car and the pole and make it look like as though Sir Roger Moore was flying inside the base. That's outstanding. Uh, for the explosion after the mini-jet escapes. However, a miniature of the hangar was constructed and filmed up close. The exploding pieces of the hangar were only four inches in length. Beautiful. Beautiful. See real things blowing up. In real life, even if it's just a miniature. And uh, I'm sure that was imposed, superimposed on a blue screen, I believe. But I could be wrong about that. I'll wrap it up, and this will be uh, this will be the last trivia. Thirteenth uh, James Bond movie in the Eon Productions franchise, and the sixth to star uh, Sir Roger Moore as Bond. With this movie, Moore equaled the number of Bond movies that Sir Sean Connery had made in the official franchise. Nicely done, Roger. Nicely done. But he's not over yet. He's not done. Because up next is A View to a Kill, which will be a special uh, review. So thanks for listening. I know that this was a long time coming. Uh, I got back on the, the Bond Marathon review train, and uh, I'll see you hopefully probably next month with the next review. Thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, you got to watch those uh, collapsible, plane, <laughs> collapsible plane wings there. Look out. And, uh, all right, thanks for listening.